it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. Coming up later, Clark stinks. That's where you get to hear what people are unhappy with me about, what things they feel like I've been wrong about, or just plain dumb. So I want to talk about something that's plain dumb. You working too much. So I want to give you an example from my own life where Clark heal thyself. Our son is obsessed with cruises. He just loves going on cruises. Not really my thing, but, but it's what he enjoys the most. So we take him on cruises, and we tend to go on two different mid-price cruise lines. And one of these cruise lines has very fast internet, it's always on, and it's unlimited use on the ship, as long as you pay the fee for the internet. And then the other cruise line has pretty pokey, slow internet, and they give you a certain number of minutes of internet use for your time on the cruise, but it's very limited, and you can't do much with the internet. What I've discovered is that when we go on a cruise with a cruise line that gives the unlimited, really robust internet, I end up working while I'm on the cruise. I'm responding to work emails. I'm engaging in, um, in video chats and having meetings and all that while I'm supposedly on vacation. When we're on the other cruise line that has the puny, rotten internet and very limited, I disengage completely from work. And I come back ill-informed, but much better in terms of relax. The whole, the, my whole mind is, is more clear, more relaxed. It's a whole different thing. But the problem is with technology, most people aren't going on cruise ships. I mean, most people don't like going on cruises. But anyway, most people are taking vacations where you have your smartphone with you. Smartphone has so many great uses when you're on vacation. But it also means that your employer has that electronic leash on you. And even though you're out and you may have put an autoresponder on your email that says, I'm on vacation, I'll return or out of the office till such and such a date. Those work emails pop up and we're lured in, like pulled in by a magnet. And we feel like we've got to engage and respond to them. The problem is you don't get that mental break, that mental relaxation that you need in that scenario. And it's so hard to step away. There's a story in in Bloomberg, though, about a business that gives bonuses of up to $750 to an employee if they stay, I love this term, offline during vacation, where they just don't take the bait. 
and don't respond to a chat or a text, a Slack, whatever it is, while they're on vacation. So there was a study done of the Harvard Business Review that found that employees who took more time off ended up having a 30% higher chance of getting a raise or vacation. That people's performance when they're at work is superior if they take more time to separate from work. So we're on the eve of when people are really starting to think about doing something fun in the summer. I want you to do something fun for yourself. And when you go away, do as I say I like, but fail to do so often, and that is truly disconnect. Now, I'll share a little something with you. Joel and Kim can tell you that if I have worked too much for too long, I am no fun to be around, that I get gripey, that I get irritable, that I get on edge. Am I telling the truth? I mean, come on, just fess up. I'm telling the truth. You're on edge is like a normal person. No, 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 kiss up here. <laughs> just tell it straight out. Sometimes you, we can tell you need a break, and that break does wonders for sure. It gets you back to your normal Clark self. Normal Clark self. Mm-hmm. Just a little gripey, not a lot gripey. <laughs> Kim's nodding her head just like, yep, up, down, like a kid does. <laughs> so I guess it's true. I think I need a break. Well, I'm leaving right now. No, <laughs> I'm going to talk with Linda right now. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, I'm fine. Thank you for taking my question. Sure, Linda. You get to go to Italy. That's right. We are so excited. But my question is that I'm noticing that a lot of the return flights have long layovers. And we've never been to Europe. We've been outside the United States, but not to Europe. So we are green about this. And I'm wondering... What is the um, reasonableness? For instance, there's a flight that goes into London Heathrow at 2.20 in the afternoon um, and then goes out at 2.20 in the afternoon the next day. How reasonable is it to leave the airport, go into the city, do a little bit of sightseeing, and then come back and get some rest in a hotel room and go out the next day? And what are the risks? And First of all, that makes, you, that makes you just beyond brilliant. <laughs> Do that. I mean, it's like getting sneaking in a little sneak a peek. Right? Second vacation within your vacation. Yeah. Do that twenty four hours. I mean, I've done okay. the thing where I've run into London when I've had um, six hours between flights, which is oh, wow. which is kind of lunatic. That's uh, that makes me really a lunatic. Yeah, for sure. But, but how if would I you've do got, it? If you've got twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. The fast train from Heathrow into London is, I think it's 31 minutes. If you go the cheap way like I do on the subway, it'll take you about 55 minutes into central London. Okay. And it's really, really easy to go on in um, to the city. You'll see a lot more than you might imagine that evening. The next morning, you won't have a huge amount of time. Because okay. it takes a while to get through the whole bureaucracy at Heathrow and security right. and all that. But I think it's well worth it. 
Okay. And you'd be able to go see um, Parliament, see Big Ben. You'd be able to see the the Thames River. You'd be able um, to see Piccadilly. I mean, you could have, I could keep naming places, but you could see a lot of really, really wonderful snapshots that would just excite you about maybe going back for another trip to London. Yeah, maybe. That's one of the reasons why London looked a little interesting to me, because I don't have a genuine desire to invest in just going to London. But it sure would be cool to go see all those places, especially if if it's just kind of right there in front of us. Is there a, a any kind of a service that's a hop-on, hop-off, or do we need to just map out some type of a walking tour? So if you go to there? central London, uh, you can do so much on foot that it'll surprise you. If you're, if you're a fit okay. person, you do a lot of exercise walking normally. We do. You'll be fine. You can do one of the, the bus services, one of the tour bus services. You can even just get on one of the double-decker buses and pay a couple of pounds to ride around. You won't have anybody telling you what you're seeing, but if you have Google Maps, you'll be able to know what you're okay. seeing and then just get okay. off bus when something looks interesting. I mean, you can go okay. to the Tower of London. You can go, I mean, so many places you can go that'll just be so much fun. You can cram as much as you can cram until you say, I just got to go to sleep <laughs> that night. Okay. Now, are the hotels around the airport reasonable? Is it reasonable to think we can go back there and get a good night's sleep? And um, I should think so and have time to get to the airport. And well, with the in. 2 o'clock, you could actually stay in central London. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And you could. Uh, I use Priceline whenever I go to London, and I get really good deals. Never go below four stars because... What the British think of as a four-star is more like a two-and-a-half to us. Okay. Um, but if you were to stay in central London, most of the time you'll be able to get a, a decent hotel for about 100 or so U.S. dollars a night. And then the next morning you just take that uh, 30, 50, 60-minute ride out to Heathrow, just leave enough time to get there, check in, go to security. It'll all work out for you. It'll be a great, great addition to your trip. And then you might find, because I've been to England more than 50 times, you might find that that you want to go back again and maybe again and again. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dave. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Dave. You got a question for me that uh, that is something that so many parents get to try to figure out. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I'm uh, 59, and I have a rising freshman at Virginia Tech, which we're all excited about, Uh, another daughter who's a junior in high school, and we're trying to figure out the best way to use our our finances to pay for college. So is she in-state at at VPI? Yes, that's right, VPI and SU. Right. So that that is great. So for people who don't know that, it's Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. Virginia Tech. So more, Yeah, more commonly known as Virginia Tech. So you got a, a brainiac in the household getting into Virginia Tech. <laughs> so how much yeah, is in-state... quite an accomplishment. How, yeah, how much is in-state going to cost? Uh, uh, roughly 20000 a year with uh, tuition and board and everything. Uh, so we got an Maybe 80K... $80,000 undergraduate degree. That's right. 
And what do you have to pay for it? Do you have any like 529 money or are you like starting from scratch? How are you going to pay for it? Well, I've been saving mostly in Roth IRAs uh, since I could take it out for education. And I'm also, since I'm 59, uh, she'll only be in school for six months before I can actually take things out without any type of penalty. Um, I do have a 14K in uh, in a 529 split between the two girls. Uh, But my understanding is I can move it back and forth at will. Uh, yeah, and then I have savings, and well, then once I have, a year, once a year you can move it from one yeah, child to yeah. the other. And I'm sorry, and I stepped I have, over uh, you. You said you got the 24k. Yeah, in non-IRA investments, and then of course I have my normal IRA investments as well. And how much are you going to expect your kids to be responsible in terms of maybe borrowing for a portion of what college is going to cost? We want them to have a little skin in the game, so we're going to have uh, them pay about 10% of the total bill. Gosh, I'm worried with you at 59, eating so heavily into your Roth IRA. I would rather see your Virginia Tech freshman borrow under uh, federal student loans, which she's allowed to, and... You could also borrow under the parent loan and know that if the loans become a burden, you have the resources and the money that you put aside to use it to defray or pay off loans. But I'd rather you not erode what you have in your Roths up front. I'd rather you keep the flexibility. Okay. And the reason I like that is... You know, she's she going to be an engineering student at VPI, or no? She's going to be in science. She wants to become a physician's assistant ultimately. All right, and the average earnings for a PA are over a hundred thousand a year. She's going to be earning enough money that even if she borrowed, uh, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not encouraging people to borrow for student loans, but the demand for that field and the earning power she has. It would even be okay for her to borrow the entire cost of her four-year education. Because if you, if you have a total student loan indebtedness that is less than what you'll earn the first year in a profession, it's okay to borrow for that, up to that amount. Okay. So that's just a thought that there, there is the alternative of normally, I would say, don't borrow, don't borrow, don't borrow. But in your scenario you presented particularly with your first college student, borrowing is really under the federal student loan program, the better option. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Michael, you are trying to do everything you can to protect your identity online. How are you trying to do that? Well, just kind of trying to take your advice that you've given over the years. And thanks for taking my call. Certainly. Um, the first thing I was doing was um, uh, taking your advice on getting a Chromebook. So we got us a financial only Chromebook. Within that Chromebook, would you install the LastPass plugin that, you, that, that, you, that people talk about? Would you recommend for or against that? I think that is nobody's ever asked me running um, LastPass or Dashlane through a Chromebook, but that's actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it would fit. Oh, you think it would be okay? Yeah, I think it fits the whole idea of using a 
Chromebook as a financial computer, because you think about the heart of security for finance is password protection. Uh And so since LastPass and Dashlane do such a uh, great job of protecting your usernames and passwords, I think that is uh, the right thing to do. Would you keep a separate LastPass account between your personal laptop versus your financial-only laptop? Separate LastPass accounts? Would you keep them together? I think it's okay to keep them together. Okay, okay. And uh, I really appreciate that suggestion. You know, nobody's ever asked me that. That's really brilliant. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So who should not rip you off ever? Me. But there are times you may feel ripped off by the guidance, the advice, the information, or the answer that I'll give to someone's question. And I need feedback from you because this is not a normal talk show. This is one where it's collective wisdom. We all learn together. We all learn from each other. So if I don't deliver, I need you to deliver the message to me. If you'll go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and post where you feel that I didn't deliver to you, where I came up short, where my guidance or advice was wrong, others can read what you've said. They can comment on what you've said. And then weekly, producer Krista goes through your posts and shares her favorites with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Hi, Clark. First and foremost, I really enjoy your podcast and never miss an episode. I wanted to make a suggestion regarding a caller you helped this past week. The caller asked if a Roth IRA might be a good place to stash his emergency fund. You endorsed that strategy because Roths allow withdrawals of the original investment without penalty, but you didn't mention the risk he might be taking by having his emergency fund subject to fluctuations in the market. Thanks for all that you do, Clark. You definitely don't stink, by the way. Sincerely, Chris in Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Chris, that is 100% right that when I'm talking about using a Roth as an emergency fund, if that became necessary, I need to also add what you said, and that is that if your intention is to use it as an emergency fund, there's a very high risk that based on the swings of investments that you could end up having a lot of money that you were using for a rainy day not there anymore because of a decline at the market at a time that you need the money. So that is a very good point. The idea of putting rainy day money in a Roth is that the hope is that you're not going to need the rainy day, but that's probably not a realistic perspective on my part. I am a loyal Clark and Costco fan, as well as a retired optometrist. Your reply to the person who had Costco call the eye doctor to change a contact lens prescription is full of problems and liabilities. Contact lenses are not all the same. They come in different powers, diameters, materials, curvatures, and thicknesses. To complicate this, two lenses with the same base curve and size from two different manufacturers may not fit the same. 
No eye doctor can or should write contact lens prescriptions without fitting the lenses and doing at least one follow-up visit to check the patient's response and eye health. At that visit, the doctor would check the fit movement of the lens on the eye without blinking vision and the health of the eye. Once this is done, the prescription is finalized and the patient is free to go where they want for more lenses. Paul. Paul, thank you for your post. This has been such a difficult area for me as a non-medical professional because the price fixing that's gone on with the contact lens manufacturers has put contact lens wearers in a terrible spot. So the contact lens costs have gone up several hundred percent from people who are cartelizing the manufacture and distribution of contact lenses. So it means that if cost is really important to somebody, they face a much more limited market for contact lenses that are affordable. And so I would appreciate a follow-up response from you how people should handle the problems of the cartelizing of contact lenses and the difference in price for something that costs the same to manufacture, essentially, from one manufacturer to another, is massive with contact lenses. And I can only talk about it from the perspective how to get people the lowest price. You as a medical professional, I'd be interested in how you deal with this part of the problem for people with contact lenses. Clark, love your show. Listen all the time. A caller recently asked your opinion about adding a jewelry floater to his homeowner's insurance. He asked if it was better to get a separate policy. Your advice was good, but I don't think you heard his entire question. If he files a claim for jewelry, the insurance company will charge him for a claim. It is better and usually cheaper to get a standalone policy, and they suggest a company to get it from. They require an appraisal, and you can do everything over the phone. Keep the great advice coming, Gary. Gary, thank you. You know, I've thought about that call since I answered it, and it's because of this issue with how you get put in a penalty box with any claim against your homeowner's insurance even if it is something separate like the jewelry. And so your advice of buying a separate policy for jewelry, especially if you have really expensive jewelry, is a superior answer to what I gave. Clark, you did it again. Only this time I was near a computer. You always, and I mean always, grill a parent about the family history of going to university on the topic of a 529 plan, which gets a little tired as it is. But you also totally ignore the fact that 529 plans, per the IRS, can be used at other post-secondary schools. For example, eligible trade schools. Many trade and certificate courses at community colleges also count. So a welding school that accepts federal aid would be typically eligible for using 529 money. Our children that want to be chefs and welders may need some cash too. Jeff. Jeff, thank you for that post. You know, when I think of people going to a trade school, I tend to encourage people to go to a state-supported trade school instead of an independent trade school because states heavily subsidize their trade schools and the cost of attending a state-sponsored one is so inexpensive, making the 529 money really overkill if somebody does go to a state-supported trade school, if somebody goes to a private trade school, gosh, I mean, that's more expensive in many cases than going to a traditional four-year college per, per term. 
So your advice would be right on with that. Clark sometimes talks about his investments with Prosper and Lending Club. I bet Clark doesn't file his own taxes or he'd warn people that the P2P lenders cause a lot of hassle on your 1099B with all the charge-off and recovery activities on various notes if the investment is held outside of an IRA. Please warn people of the headaches to come for a less than 5% annualized return. Peter. Peter, I'm living that. I mean, think about it. I did the Prosper and Lending Club specifically as an experiment, and I had no idea what a hassle it was at tax time with the 1099s. I had not mentioned that because I didn't want to sound like a whiner with my money, but you did it for me, and you're right. And so owning an investment in Prosper Lending Club would be better done inside a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, just as you said. But I want to bring up something else as well. We haven't discussed this. With how interest rates have risen on savings, there's not as much compelling argument to invest in Prosper or Lending Club as there was before, particularly because of the problem with the charge-offs that depresses your rate of return. I think I'm averaging, I should pull up the latest, but I'm somewhere between 5 and 6% earnings on my account. that was a lot higher before, but because of charge-offs, it has depressed my overall rate of return. Are we breaking up? I always refer to you as my boyfriend, but now every time my husband and I go to Costco, I grab a cart and shop very carefully for our six kids while my husband wanders around the store like a bachelor, testing samples and shopping in total bliss. I always think about your advice to save money at big box stores by not getting a cart. Are you wandering around like a bachelor while your wife does the shopping? Save your re- our relationship and say it isn't so. Thanks, Clark. I think you're wonderful. You have the most integrity of anyone I have ever listened to on the radio. Take care, Carly. All right, so Carly, here's true story. My last visit to Costco, my son was complaining that the mattress we got him for his bed is terrible. So Costco has a mattress topper on sale. So I went back to with no cart, found it on sale, and I was like, you know, I should really go get a cart. This thing's probably going to be heavy. It was amazingly heavy for just a topper. And there I was walking all the way to the front of the store, kind of waddling, carrying this thing to the front. And I was thinking, you know, some rules need to be bent from time to time. And if you're buying a lot of stuff like you are for, you said six kids. Six kids, yeah. Six kids. Or you're buying big, bulky, heavy things, then a cart makes perfect sense. Clark is great, but a little out of touch with the reality and politics, especially in New York State and the city. In New York City, congestion toll plan is to fund the MTA subway improvements and other budget gaps they have to fill it in. In daytime, due to traffic and $40 an hour minimum parking garage fees and enough availability of cabs people don't drive there, I was a truck driver in New York City 10 years ago and now changed jobs and am a travel medical tech visiting New York City almost every day. As a result of the congestion pricing, traffic won't be less there. It's going to be more, just a money-pulling scam in order to fill up their budget gaps. Ten years ago, my then-employer paid the sky-high toll, and now my present employer will pay the price, which will finally end up to the consumers. Just being in a passenger car 
In five boroughs, I pay over $400 just for the bridges and tunnels in a month. Wow. Okay. So what New York is doing is that the congestion charge will be from, I think, 60th down to Wall Street. And the idea is that's an area where traffic basically has had a nervous breakdown. Ubers and Lyfts will be subject to it, and Ubers and Lyfts have heavily contributed to the increased congestion in the city. And you're right, the money that's going to be collected from it is going to transit, but that's not the economist's argument for doing congestion charges that I think first were implemented in Singapore and now are in London, and I forget what other cities. The It has made a big difference in traffic and congestion in places where the congestion charges have been put in, but the cost is an incredible burden, and you're right. Ultimately, it is passed on to the consumer. Clark missed an opportunity to tell Jake about the power of long-term investing. Instead of paying down his mortgage, he could invest in a low-cost index fund. Growing at 7% over 20 years, $40,000 grows to $154,000 pre-tax. Jake's mortgage rate was probably very low since they've been low for about 10 years. Let's say it's 4%. Would you rather have a 4% return or a 7% return? It's important to compare growth rates, the one you're paying and the one that's paying you. Thanks for all you do. You are, from a strict dollars and cents standpoint, completely correct. My experience over the years, though, is that if somebody's determined to pay off their mortgage, even though the money dollar for dollar would be more efficiently invested, the reality is there's slippage. There's a different term for it. I forget what that term is. But if somebody says, oh, I'm going to take that money, I'm going to invest instead, somehow it never quite makes it into the investment, but they get in the habit of doing it, paying off the mortgage quicker. I'm not a I'm, you know, I'm not really into paying off a mortgage extra fast normally if the interest rate's very low, but I have to read the room. I got to get a sense of the individual asking me the question, and it's where they're going to be comfortable, and the idea of extinguishing debt is still a great idea. I appreciate all your posts. If there's something you feel that I have given an incomplete answer to, an incorrect answer, or I've just been plain dumb, I want to hear from you. Go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me have it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Brad's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brad. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. You are interested in robots. Hey, uh, robo-advisors, actually, yes. Yeah. Um, I was uh, looking into, I'm a first-time investor, 
Um, I was just uh, kind of going over some of them, and I wasn't sure really which one would be the best one to go with. There is no one best one, and the industry seems to be settling down somewhere between 0.25% to about 0.35% when you effectively add in the cost of investments for your access to a robo-advisory service. And so this really started with Wealthfront and Betterment, and I don't know if you've looked at either of those. I have. And... Now um, you've got the robos available from Fidelity and Schwab. And so the difference is with Fidelity and Schwab, without a higher fee, they offer you access to a human, but it's not like you got this buddy there who knows you really well and you're on a first-name basis, but you have access to a human for guidance and advice past the robot. Okay. And so it's a very legitimate, great way to build a low-cost portfolio and guide you based on the questions you answer and your time horizon and your goals. So I like them. Okay. I was looking at them myself, and I was definitely interested. They all have. They all seem to have different features um, where, like, some of them will have free trades or uh, zero monthly fees things like that. When you get to free trades, that's really a Robin Hood thing. Yeah, I was looking at uh, M1 Financial as well. I don't know they, them. That's not one I've heard of. I'll have to check them out. Okay. Yeah, that that's the one that I was uh, most interested in. Um, everything, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, free trades, um, no minimum balance, if I'm not mistaken. So it's good for people trying to invest low amounts of money if I was just uh, trying to find out if that, you know, if that was a good one to go with. If you've never heard of yeah, it. So, <laughs> so that one is not one I'm familiar with. Uh, okay. Joel says he's familiar with it. What do you know about M1, Joel? Yeah, the great thing about M1, so it's a little bit, it's very similar to Robinhood as a platform. And the nice thing about M1 is that you can buy partial shares of, of stocks and index funds as opposed to having to buy a whole piece uh, of that of that share. So like let's let's say you wanted to buy uh buy Tesla, you don't have to come up with the whatever the stock valuation is $300, you can buy $20 worth of Tesla with M1. So that's kind of cool. Okay. So there's your explanation. See, look, we're we're a complete team. So as far as any of these platforms, if you're just starting out investing, my preference is not the free stock trading platforms. My preference is where you're using the robos and you build a base of money that you have aside, a portfolio of well-diversified funds that they would recommend. And then if you want to explore owning individual stocks, things like that, then you use Robinhood or M1. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.